This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Uh, but off the top uh, in this hour, though, uh, certainly... Well, certainly in the years since 9-11, I think we've seen this debate in in many different aspects, that that balance between privacy and security. Uh, Well, it's come up again in the aftermath of this terror attack last week in London. It's come to light that the attacker sent a message shortly before the app, uh, shortly before the attack, and he used uh, a service known as WhatsApp to send the message. Uh, Given that WhatsApp offers end-to-end encryption, We don't know, and maybe we will never know, what was in that message. The British government, though, wants to know, uh, and they're making an issue of this. They want companies like WhatsApp to have some kind of built-in backdoor where in a situation like this, those messages can be accessed. But obviously, if WhatsApp is going to allow for that, they can't really claim to offer end-to-end encryption. There's really no guarantee that those messages will be encrypted. And I guess people who are looking for that are going to go elsewhere. Obviously, that has some appeal for people who are engaged in illicit activities. But there are a lot of very legitimate purposes why people would want to have secure and protected communication. I mean, for me as a journalist, if I were receiving information from some sort of whistleblower, obviously I would want something like that available. And certainly that person, if he didn't have a guarantee that there was that protection, maybe he wouldn't be willing to share that information. What about if you live in a country where you really don't have uh, the kinds of freedoms that we enjoy? uh, And you're an activist fighting for those changes. I think being able to communicate safely is is hugely important so i don't know that we want to take this away but we can understand obviously why authorities in the united kingdom want to know as much as they can possibly know about this attacker and whom he might have been in contact with Uh, joining us to talk more about this issue very pleased to welcome to the program dr murakami wood an associate professor at the uh, queen's university department of sociology and a canada research chair tier two in surveillance studies dr wood welcome to the program good afternoon all right, so what do you make of this request from the British government? Does it seem at all reasonable to you? Well, I think, first of all, it's um, based on some profound misunderstandings of what's possible. I mean, technically, the government minister concerned doesn't seem to know what she's talking about at all. She gave a, a rambling interview um, this weekend in which she made all sorts of strange claims about special hashtags and, and the cloud, and she really doesn't seem to know or being briefed very well. I think the remarks she made about WhatsApp are probably based more on a kind of knee-jerk reaction to the to being told about this rather than any considered sort of policy. All right, so what are they overlooking then, in your view? Well, several things. First first of all is that, you know, the as you, as you said in your introduction, the whole point of WhatsApp is that it's an end-to-end encrypted service. 
its you know, unique selling point, its offer to consumers is precisely that. And in many ways, uh, governments like the UK's or Canada's or the USA's should be guaranteeing this. I mean, this is what exactly what you know, the government should be doing in providing security for its, its users. That's actually one of the fundamental things that any government should be doing, guaranteeing the security of communications. If they start you know, fundamentally undermining these things, then people lose trust in methods of communication. They lose trust in the companies that are providing them. And many of these companies will lose their you know, unique selling points and be forced to either move overseas, um, as happened with Whisper Systems and Signal um, after the Snowden case a few years ago, or they would just close down altogether. Um, and that's not good economically, apart from, you know, even, even before we get to the question of privacy and the need for these kinds of uh, systems, which you mentioned in your introduction. Right. So it, it's, there's nothing sinister in what WhatsApp is offering. The fact that they offer people the ability to send protected encrypted messages, there's nothing in, inherently wrong with that, is there? Not at all, no. I mean, you know, it's just like saying, why have you got a lock on your front door? It's not that you, you know, don't want some people to come in, but you want to be able to control who comes in through your front door. If the government said to you, well, I'm sorry, you know, front door locks mean that we can't get in where we want to and look at what you're doing, most of us would object to that. And that's indeed, you know, the case here. I mean, what we're arguing for is essentially privacy of communications, which has always been a human right, um, and not to have the government be able to look into these things whenever they want to. It's not that we're ne saying that the government should never be able to have access to communications, and indeed WhatsApp itself does collaborate, um, or if necessary, with government when it's asked to. And in fact, some people would argue it does so too much. Right, so... It's not as though they're, they're opposed to cooperating with, with the government. I guess in this case, though, the contents of this message are, are not accessible, as we understand it then. As we understand it, I mean, in fact, I'm, I'm hesitant to say anything beyond the, the actual facts at hand. I mean, we don't know. We haven't, it hasn't been said who, who was this message was sent to or anything else about this message at all. We have no evidence that it was sent to or from any known terrorist organization. Um, in fact, the police so far in Britain have been very clear that so far as they know, um, the, the guy who carried out these attacks was in fact acting on his own. But we don't know. I mean, simply there's very little knowledge here. I think the key point is that there's many different kinds of technologies and, and objects that were involved in this case. I mean, if you were going to look to, to blame something, if you're going to blame some object or some technique, why not pick the private car? And this guy used a car and the roadway to run down several people. I haven't heard anybody demanding that private cars be banned. In fact, most of the recent attacks that have been carried out in Europe have been using the public road surface and cars or trucks. And when nobody's arguing that we should stop people driving as a result, that's kind of the equivalent of what's going on here. Well, I suppose. So in that sense, in the broader context of things, how potentially significant is the fact that this guy did send a message? We have no idea. I mean, you know, we don't know whether he was sending a message to someone he loved or he was sending, you know, a kind of explanation to somebody. We don't know what that message was about at all in any way. So it's, it's impossible to speculate in that context. And given that the authorities so far seem to think that he had no known connections to any jihadi group of any kind, it's, you know, rank speculation to think that this must be something to do with the reason why he did this. We just have no idea. 
I guess if, I mean, if WhatsApp were to relent and make these changes, I, I guess wouldn't that just send people to, to other sites, uh, other services that, that offer this kind of thing? Well, absolutely. And in fact, it would not only uh, damage confidence in, in the kind of companies that provide these services already, it would send them to other services, many of which would be less safe and, and in fact, you know, less under the purview of, of Western governments. Um, we'd be turning to services that actually operated from different countries and under very different laws. And for consumers, it might mean conditions of greater uncertainty. You, know, you wouldn't know if the company you were using really provided proper end-to-end -end encryption. We have pretty good confidence that WhatsApp is a fairly good end-to-end -end encrypted system because most of what we know about it is fairly open. If we start closing down this possibility in our own companies, people are going to be turning to much less uh, clear and transparent services that may in fact do them harm or may even be uh, services run by people who want to uh, steal identities or that kind of thing. So it's not definitely not a good thing to be discouraging end-to-end -end encryption. In fact, in many ways, this is one of the industries in which Western companies lead the world, and it's, it's kind of stupid to damage this industry. What about the argument, though, that this is a, a gift to, to extremists, uh, to criminals even, too? Well, that's like saying libraries are. I mean, if you go to a library, you can find books which would enable you to make explosives, conduct all kinds of, you know, campaigns of violence. You could do all kinds of things with libraries. But nobody suggested closing libraries down. I mean, the fact that you can find information on the Internet, that you can use certain kinds of services, in itself does not cause terrorism and does not lead to terrorism. This has very little to do with the roots of terrorism or why terrorist attacks happen. And if you look at this guy's particular case, he had a long and complicated history of crime throughout his life. He converted to um, Islam in prison, apparently, and it's in prison that he seems to have learned most of the, the kinds of um, ideas that, that led to this attack. We, he also visited Saudi Arabia. We know very little about that. I mean, there's all kinds of factors here that contributed to this man, you know, attacking people in this way. And to center this on one particular app with one particular technology really has very little to do with all the complex factors that led up to this. All right. Well, and obviously, look, there are other means to investigate what this individual was up to, uh, to try Absolutely. to go back and, and piece together who he might have been in contact with. And I guess ahead of time, if there are individuals that authorities are legitimately concerned about, you know, right, they can obtain warrants. There are different ways to, to keep an eye on people that, that may be causing trouble. There are. Indeed, most of the most companies will cooperate with authorities in those cases. And in fact, this man himself had been on a watch list, apparently, up until about 2010. Um, he had been somebody who had been suspected of extremist links, uh, at least extremist ideologies, but apparently had been taken off those lists because he was regarded as not a very high priority. Um, what this suggests, though, is that what we need is better targeted intelligence. What we don't necessarily need is mass access to people's communication. There's very little evidence that sort of mass surveillance and mass access actually helps to prevent these kinds of crimes. It's really good, solid, targeted intelligence work that does. In fact, in this case, if this person had been kept under greater observation, then maybe this never would have happened. We don't know for sure, but certainly better targeted intelligence would have helped. Right. And there are different ways. I mean, groups like this, if, if, if this guy was involved in, in one of these uh, terrorist organizations, that they found ways to, to exchange communications. I remember reading uh, some years ago, I think it, this was something that al-Qaeda operatives were doing. They would share the same um, uh, email account. They would go in, they would write a draft message 
someone else mm-hmm. would log into the same account, read that, and delete the draft message, there would be uh, no records of that draft message, that's, no trace of it. That, yeah, that's correct. I mean, that was using Gmail or any other online cloud-based mail service. You can do that sort of thing. I mean, there are traces in some cases of these things left. It's not entirely impossible to find with some forensic computing techniques, but I think the Gmail case, you wouldn't be able to find anything. There's all kinds of rumors and possibilities for how terrorists communicate online. A few years ago, there was even uh, talk that terrorist groups were meeting in Second Life, if you remember that, that strange uh, three-dimensional uh, massive you know, virtual world. Um, and that's certain, you know, there's all kinds of ways. The thing is that whatever technologies exist, there will always be people who would take advantage of them for bad purposes. What you can't do is blame the technologies for the fact that there are bad people. And in fact, trying to control that kind of technological development for that reason really usually has adverse and unexpected side effects, which, you know, in this case, less unexpected than quite predictable, which is that they clamp down on people's privacy, make people afraid. And as you said in your introduction, they end up harming people who have perfectly legitimate and good reasons for using encryption, and even harming the values that we supposedly are upholding in the world. As you say, like democracy and like uh, the kind of resistance to authoritarianism that we supposedly support in other countries. Yeah, that's a great point. David, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Appreciate the insight. Thank you. It's a All great right, conversation. Uh, that's uh, Dr. David uh, Murakami-Wood uh, from Queen's University, Department of Sociology, also a Canada Research Chair in Surveillance Studies. So, uh, yeah, does it make sense then to just basically demolish what WhatsApp is by saying, well, if government needs it, we can uh, build a little backdoor entrance into these messages. It doesn't really make it encrypted anymore. So I think he raises some important points. Listen, 403-974-8255, that's our number. Uh, You can call us, text us, same number. We'll come back, uh, some other news to get to, more time for your calls and your text as well. This is Afternoons on News Talk 770. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.